Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. I'm joined in the studio today by Bob Fisher from Design Intelligence, who recently had the opportunity to spend time with creatives from Lego, LPK, Con Pedersen Fox, and WATG, a fantastic series. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment, in the studio with me today is Bob Fisher. Now, Bob served as a host for a recent series of podcasts that we did called Leading Creatives. And there were three podcasts that were produced out of this series, along with one article from one of our guests. And it was fantastic. Bob, tell us who were your guests in that series? Sure. So our guests were Pete Johnson, who until recently was the head of creation at Lego, but he'd also been an advertising and media uh, creative executive at Saatchi and Saatchi and Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. Then we had Valerie Jacobs. Her role is the chief growth officer at a firm called LPK, and they're a brand and innovation consultancy that works globally. Then we had Lauren Schmidt, who's a principal at Cone Pedersen Fox, one of the most you know, well-respected architecture firms in the last 40 years. And then we had Katie Pattison, who is currently the vice president of global marketing at WATG. But she was an interesting person because she had led creatives both inside of architecture professional practice and on the client side. When you're doing these type of recordings and you're sitting in the sessions, I know for my own self, I, I prepare I engage in the conversation, and it's only afterwards that I sometimes sit back and go, gosh, I learned a lot from that. And I begin to journal some of my thoughts from the conversation. So this was a pretty powerful set of interactions that you had. Bob, what were some of your big takeaways from your time with these people? So one of my biggest takeaways was that regardless of what kind of creative organization that you're talking about, there are certain themes that really tend to be in all of these organizations, and leaders have similar kinds of challenges and opportunities. So some of those themes have to do with relationships. That was something that was certainly part of every one of these conversations, especially the dimensions of trust and respect uh, good communication, and even vulnerability. There was the importance of values and having a strong base of values that drove vision and kind of helped inform the intentional creation of culture. Um, a lot of our guests talked about diversity and how incredibly important it is to have a variety of different viewpoints and backgrounds and ways of thinking at the table to make the best creative work possible. And many of our guests talked about constraints. You know, people who run creative organizations have this kind of paradox. On the one hand, you want to put together the best creative teams to do the highest level of creative work possible. But on the other hand, you've got an enterprise to run. So you need to take this creativity and make it repeatable and predictable and conform to things like what the client needs and what the schedule is and stay within budget constraints. And so a lot of the guests also talked about, you know, what were the challenges and opportunities that were uh, in some of those in some of those themes and in some of those situations. So you talked about relationships. Is this relationships within the teams across the creative landscape? So it operates at a wide variety of different levels, and it was a really 
rich component to all of these conversations. It even came down to how one, as a leader, relates to those people that are inside of the organization. So the conversation around relationships also kind of very naturally floated into conversations around culture because those two elements are are so important. So Katie Patterson was a good example of someone who talked a lot about the importance of relationships and how she intentionally tries to create a team environment where relationships are very strong and where people feel as though they they are listened to. Everyone has a voice. She makes sure to do practical things like scheduling meetings and engagements so that those people who are processors have time to process and those people who are introverts have space to think and to speak and to be heard, um, as well as, you know, taking advantage of the high energy extroverts that that mm. she's got in there and things like that. But uh, But a lot of it also had to do with how one helps you know, teams get through the inevitable conflicts that come up in the creative process and the importance of having strong relationships so that uh, there's, you know, people give each other benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I like that idea of, of respecting people where they are. You know, some people are introverts and you need to, you need to allow that respect of that, that expression as opposed to those who are on the other side of the equation yeah, I know Katie. She's very, very uh, attuned to the relational dynamic that's happening within a room. Now, two of these folks, Pete Johnson and Valerie Jacobs, um, the work that they've done is just off the charts, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very different context from the practice of architecture, mm-hmm. though it is high creative. They have very respected organizations around the world. And um, they're dealing on a pretty macro basis across the space. Uh, One of them is very clear doing a product-based business, and the other is doing a very clear set of services-based business. And I find there's often a difference between product creativity and service creativity. Did Did you see overlaps in their work or clear distinctions between that? Well, that's an interesting point because there's there's a whole lot that's in common between those things right? You're trying to engage someone around the value of services, or you're trying to create a service, and that is your creative product, or you're trying to promote a a physical product, consumer product. You're still dealing with what it is that moves people. You're still dealing with trying to reach out to them and convince them of something, to influence them, right? To move them from one way of thinking to another way of thinking, so there's a lot that's the same about those things. Some of the particulars, obviously, are going to be quite different. That really wasn't a large feature of a lot of the conversations, though. Okay. It was really striking hmm. how much commonality there was on a lot of different levels. The other point that came out was this idea of values and vision and, and, and culture. But something uh, that's kind of stuck in between there is purpose. And we know there's a very clear purpose for Lego, for instance. Mm-hmm. They know what their purpose is, and out of that purpose, their vision comes, and et cetera. And it's, it's pretty true about what's happened at uh, LPK, where they saw themselves uh, confronted with the pandemic. They saw them a reinvention of their business occur. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, their purpose didn't change the way they deliver got changed and the way they interact with each other changed. And so I find that to be really founding. And of course, 
We know Cohn Pedersen Fox, really respect them, is just one of the most phenomenal architects on the planet. While many come and go, and some put up the tall buildings and then lose grace, these folks have never missed a beat. They continue yeah. to dominate in their market. And I think it's because they are uh, disciplined, highly creative in their discipline, and they don't celebrate architecture. Yeah. They are they are an entire organization of phenomenal architects and creatives that come together in a collaborative way to just put these buildings up that you wonder, where did that come from? Just extraordinary things, but it's all around a core purpose. Can you talk a little bit more about what you extracted around some of the purposes of these organizations? Yeah, so it's really interesting because everybody I talked to had to deal with two different dimensions of their work. One was the work of the firm they were in. And then the other was working on the firm. And so each one of the people who participated in this series talked a lot about trying to cultivate this idea of purpose within their organization. And they went about it in a, a variety of different ways. You mentioned Valerie Jacobs at LPK and some of the recent changes that they made in their, their business. And she quoted one of her colleagues there saying, you know, who was also quoting, I think, Winston Churchill and saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. So we had all this incredible disruption through the pandemic and social unrest. And they took that opportunity to absolutely make a hard turn and reinvent themselves. So their traditional business, right, their traditional side of their advertising business needed to change in order to be a viable model for the future. They had offices all over the world, everywhere that their clients were. What they realized that they needed to do was change their entire model of how they did their work. So they wound up consolidating offices. They wound up spinning off some of their businesses. They wound up having one physical office, but changing to a, a fully hybrid model. So they've got people who live all over the place, but now they're, they're working together. They started leveraging technology to make sure that they could always be in tight communication and were very intentional about talking about purpose. They're very intentional in having hard conversations, even about things that are happening outside of the company, with you know, outside in the world. And they make a habit of having those hard conversations now so that when the stakes are high, they, they have the tools, you know, internally to do that. Katie Patterson was another example of someone who's very attuned and self-aware um, around this idea of purpose and ensuring that she's creating the right environment uh, for her teams. Actually, that was really something that everybody talked about. It's all about talent at the end of the day, particularly in this creative field, isn't it? Because I'm finding that talent can be seen both as an asset, but also as a tool set. And it's, it's the most difficult area right now, particularly in the built environment, is finding the right talent, attracting that talent, uh, hopefully developing that talent and hopefully retaining that talent. You know, at the end of the day, that whole talent cycle that's going on right there. And it seemed like all of them had things to say about talent, about the attraction and retention of talent. But I'm very interested to know, what did you pick up in your conversations about how they're developing their talent? Uh, so often talent is stellar coming in the door and we just say they got it and we leave them alone. And yet there's always learning. Absolutely. So um, my mind first goes to my conversation with Lauren Schmidt. 
And, you know, Cohn, Pedersen, Fox, in addition to being, you know, a very accomplished firm is also a larger firm. I mean, they have hundreds and hundreds of people. Despite that, Lauren talked about the importance of really knowing every individual, of having, uh, understanding what is it that individuals want to accomplish in their own careers? How is it that team assignments can be made to help people accomplish their own goals? How can teams be constructed, if you really know the people in there, to craft the right kind of dynamics so that you get maximum creativity and productivity? you know, in that team. That was something that was important to her personally, but is also a key element in the KPF culture. You are a creative. You have a background in, in the creative space, and certainly you apply your creativity in all the things you do at Design Intelligence as a former creative director at the Cartoon Network yourself. I, I'd like to hear you talk about why is conflict a positive thing for the creative? Well, it is and it isn't. Now, whenever you have people who have different views of how something should go, and you know everybody in this set of interviews talked about how important it is to have a diversity of opinions, right? A diversity of you know viewpoints and bringing all those folks together. Now, if you do that and you don't have the right kind of situation, you can have chaos on your hands. You can have all kinds of negativity on your hands. But if you put people together with the right kind of expectations and parameters, the conflict can actually enhance the creative. So Katie Patterson of WATG talked a lot about making sure to set the right intent for all interactions, right? And set the right expectations of what is it that we're trying to do? You talked about purpose earlier. It's kind of coming back to purpose. Why are we gathering together here as a team to engage in this brainstorming or this charrette or whatever it is that we're, we're going to wind up doing. Um, Pete Johnson talked a lot about making sure that you have a really strong foundation in values and that as a leader, you're communicating your creative vision and using that as a tool for sort of aligning people in a creative organization to not cut down on productive conflict. Conflict can be can be great, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. that friction. It's really more friction, friction than conflict. Yes, I like that better word. Because um, you need, you know, tires need friction with the road in order to move the truck forward, right? But the truck that we're talking about has to have a steering wheel, right? There has to be some structure around this in order to ensure that that the diversity of viewpoints is brought together in a productive way and disagreements and different ways of seeing things, you know, have a, a way that they can be reconciled. There's also an important relationship component. At, at the end of the day, it's all people. And if people are on a team and the team is running into trouble, you know, with disagreements on how they need to approach a given problem, they need to be able to hear one another. They need to be able to listen. And this is something that, you know, Pete and Valerie talked about, really listening. And, you know, Lauren Schmidt talked about, if you have a problem, respond first with curiosity. First, listen and ask questions. Understand when people feel heard and when they have the kind of basis in a relationship where they can give each other benefit of the doubt for having the right motivations, all kinds of amazing things can happen when people confront each other in an open way yeah. and in a way that's that's open-hearted as and well. And safe. Yes, right. very much right. safe. 
So one of the things you know that we do at Design Intelligence, and particularly through our context of the Design Futures Council, is invite voices from outside the built environment to speak into us, to hear from people in completely different worlds and industries so that perhaps there are parallel learnings that we can extract from what they're doing. Tell us about how these folks are informed and inspired by looking to other industries. Right. So two people in particular spoke about this at some length. One was Pete Johnson and the other is Katie Pattison. And so Pete talked about when he was at various leadership positions at Lego, but also at Saatchi and Saatchi and Nickelodeon, that just to give kind of some an injection of let's just say, creative energy from outside. He would bring in chefs. He would bring in people who were from entirely different industries. He'd bring in authors. Uh, he'd bring in all different kinds of folks. And so Katie Pattison also talked about the importance of having that kind of lifeblood coming from outside so that as people are solving problems every day, they don't get blinders on. They don't start thinking too much about how one problem, let's say within the built environment or within promoting a brand is too much like the last problem that they solved. You know, at a recent Design Futures Council event that we had in Boston, Massachusetts on the business of design, the, the primary theme under that umbrella was called owning your leadership responsibilities. And as we listened to the many speakers that were there, as well as the table talks that were going on in our time together over those two days, one of the themes that kept coming out was this idea of learning from failure mm -hmm. and from not being afraid to fail mm -hmm. and there being a context around that and then being humble enough to say, hey, I failed and here's some stuff I learned from that. It was, it was absolutely fantastic hearing about that. How does failure play a part in the creative process? Well, that's a, that's a great question because some of the people that I talked to not only talked about failure in the creative process, but also failure in learning uh, on your path to learning to be a leader, right? Most of these folks that I talked to had mentors. They had people who, would, who recognized that they had talent, who gave them opportunity, who gave them coaching, but they, they didn't have formal training in how to be a leader. So Pete Johnson, for example, talked about I tell you, he he told us the story of every time he stepped in it on his whole path to leadership. <laughs> um, but he's the kind of guy who who is humble and who wants to learn and wants to improve. So when he would uh, go into a situation and he would read it wrong and he would make mistakes and he would get some pretty pointed feedback from his teams because creative folks have all kinds of opinions, he would listen to that and he would make adjustments. You talked about ownership. You know, Lauren Schmidt talked about at KPF how when you empower people with the right kind of assignments at a team and the right kind of opportunities, that helps to develop this sense of, I own this creative challenge. This creative challenge is on me. Every team member can say that. And so they, when someone feels that sense of ownership, um, it's, like, uh, it's like anything you're trying to accomplish as a team. If all of the team members have a sense of ownership, not just of their little part, but of this shared goal. And if that shared goal is clear enough and the alignment is there and everybody owns the objective, it's going to get you there faster and it's going to yield a better creative result. So I'm going to ask you a last question in our time here today. The future is coming on fast. Whoop, 
There it went. It just went by <laughs> me. God, oh, here comes some more, right? The future is always upon us at the end of the day. What is the future saying about the creative world? And will our creativity increase or will we become so desensitized to the overload of creativity that's being pushed on us all the time through pervasive media to the point that we become kind of dull to what's occurring? I guess, Bob, you're a creative. You've been all your life. What say you about this pretty important theme that you covered in these interviews with these folks? Well, one of the things to keep in mind is that because of the way that media and technology are changing, there is more of these of these creative voices and this creative product that's that we're being bombarded with it every day. I mean, think about think about something like YouTube. Any individual can put something up on YouTube and reach more people that way than they could have writing a book, right? There are people who have talked about it as a revolution on on the level of Gutenberg, right? In terms of right. the ability to communicate the empowerment of individuals to put creative product out there. Well, you've got all these creative products and these creative messages and things that we're being bombarded with all the time. So what it's done is it's kind of ratcheted up um, the level that folks need to, to operate at in order to break through some of this noise. So all of the different types of creatives that we talked to regardless of whether they're in regardless of whether they're making toys or whether they're trying to promote brands or whether they're creating wonderful buildings all of them have a unique and growing challenge that has to do with the volume of chatter that's out there what do i think is going to happen in the future same thing that these folks that I talk to do, which is understand and accept the changes that are happening and just figure out how is it that we raise our game? How is it that we ensure that our voices are heard? How do we build organizations of influence, creative influence in this new, in this new kind of environment? How that happens, that part of the future is unwritten. Amazing. It's been a great time talking with you. Thank you for joining me in the Design Intelligence Studio. Bob Fisher, a Design Intelligence Strategic Advisor, and my guest host. Thank you, Bob. All right. Thanks, Dave. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knable. This has been a DI Media Group production.